0: Alright, getting into God's Word, Acts chapter 2. This is our sixth Sunday, focusing on the book of Acts. So it's taken us six Sundays to finish up the first two chapters of Acts. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so we're going to be here for a little while. Um, but in chapters 1 and 2, here's what's happened so far. Jesus Christ has resurrected from death. He's appeared to his disciples. Um, he's taught them for 40 days. Before he ascended and returned to heaven, he gave his disciples some instructions. He said, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll have power to be my witnesses. So the disciples, they did that. They went. They waited in Jerusalem And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in power and filled the apostles and supernatural things were happening. One of the supernatural effects of the power of the Holy Spirit coming on the disciples was that uh, they were preaching with boldness and, and power and courage. And one of the apostles that was preaching was Peter. If you've studied the scripture, you're familiar with Peter the Apostle. And he's preaching uh, to these crowds of, of uh, Jews that were uh, came together for this uh, day of, of uh, Pentecost. And he's preaching, and in part of his sermon in Acts 2 says that all these supernatural events you're seeing here on this day of Pentecost, this is all in fulfillment of the prophecies of Joel um, from hundreds of years ago, before the time of Christ. And he also says, these things are being um, fulfilled in your midst. And then he tells these Jewish crowds, basically, hey, you knew who Jesus Jesus was, he did signs and wonders among you. He, he was, you know, God had his hand on him. And Peter essentially argues and says, Jews, Jesus was your Messiah that you've been waiting for. And he proves it to them by, by, through his sermon. And the scripture says that some of them were cut to the heart because they knew that they had called for Jesus to be crucified. They had just called for the crucifixion of their their long-awaited Messiah. They were cut to the heart and they asked Peter, they said, what do we do? And Peter said, Repent. Repent, turn from your ways, have a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. So repent, believe in Jesus, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and, uh, and that's what happened, right? 3,000 people turned to the Lord that day and were baptized and were added to the church. And so what was, uh, you know, we left off last week saying, hey, let's remember the basics of the Christian faith. It all starts with us being cut to the heart where we recognize we are sinners and every one of us in this room, none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and fallen short and that God in his love for us has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And so when we start to understand Jesus didn't just die, he died for my sins. My sins are what he was paying for on the cross. It cuts you to the heart. And there's a, turning that happens in you, a repentance, where you used to believe one thing and now you change your mind, you change your beliefs, which leads to a change of behavior, and you start to love the Lord and want to live for him. You, you express your change of heart. The initial expression of that is through the act of baptism in water. And I'm excited to see some of you get baptized on Easter Sunday. and We're looking forward to that. But, you know, uh, that was the call for us. Have we repented? believed and been baptized that's where we left off well Peter again as he preached 3,000 souls were added to the church in one day which is a huge you know a huge day of of harvest of souls well now that they had been added to the church what did that mean right what what did that look like How, how, how did the church function in the early days Well, our text for today, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, gives us a glimpse of what happened in the early church. I just want to read verse 42, and then we'll jump into some things from there. Verse 42 says, and they, right, these are the new believers, 3,000 plus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So... You see right here that these, this church full of new believers, man, they immediately devoted themselves to some things. That word uh, devoted in the original language, it means to constantly be busy with, right? Um, to be constantly engaged in. Like we live in a busy world today, don't we? This is, we got a lot going on. Uh, But the early church found themselves constantly busy with these things. They were committed to some core foundational functions of the early church. Today what we're going to see is we're going to see four foundational practices of the early church We're going to see them in our six verses, verses 42 through 47. Um, As I teach through these, I just want to make some practical application and takeaways for us. And really what I'm hoping happens is I hope that the Lord grows all of our passion and our devotion for the church that he loves, that he saved, that the Lord would grow our passion for the church. So let's look at this starting in verse 42, four foundational practices of the early church. They were devoted to, first of all, learning the apostles' teaching together. Learning the apostles' teaching together. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. The word teaching in the original language is the word didache. It means uh, doctrine or body of instruction. Um, so you can imagine people like Peter and James and John and the early apostles, right? They're, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're verbally passing on what they had learned from Jesus. Eventually, you can imagine that the believers would grow. There would be, you know, believers taking the message to other parts of the, of the world, little churches popping up in different regions and countries around the area. So eventually the apostles can't be in more than one place at a time. So in order to get their apostles teaching to different churches in different regions, they couldn't always just communicate it verbally like, I'm doing with you now, they eventually had to write it down in letters. So either the apostles or their close associates would write down these letters and send them out to various churches in regions like Galatia and Rome and Thessalonica and other cities. And what did that result in? That ended up resulting in the letters that we now have in our New Testament in the Bible. The apostles' teaching. So the early church devoted themselves to the doctrine and instruction and the teaching of the apostles. So here's just a kind of a little side application point for us. Um, We live in a culture right now where it is very kind of popular or kind of common for us to hear people say things like this. Hey, you know, uh, man, I love Jesus, but I'm just, I'm not really into all that doctrine. I'm not really into all that stuff. And on, I'll just say this, on one hand, I actually sympathize with that statement. I understand it because, let's be honest, uh, it is really easy to get caught up in becoming kind of a theological egghead and knowing all the, all the information about the Bible, and along the way, your, your heart just grows cold towards Jesus. Right, that, Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees for that. He said to the religious leaders, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you'll have life, but it is they that speak of me. So don't miss Jesus in your study of Scripture, right? So I understand it. On one hand, the whole sentiment of "I'm not into doctrine; I'm just into Jesus." But here's the other. On the other hand, here's the challenge I would give to people: is um, how else are you really going to know Jesus? Unless you study the teachings of Christ, unless you study the person of Christ, right? Um, If you really want to love and honor and obey Jesus, you need to know who he was. You need to know what he taught. You need to know what he cared about, what his will was. And so that's why we commit ourselves to doctrine. We can, right? We can and we should love both Jesus and his teachings. And that's uh, what we want to be as a church. So the early church, right, they were hungry for the apostles' doctrine, Oftentimes, I think churches in our day and age—not necessarily our church—but churches in our day and age—we can be hungry for lots of other things: hungry for um, experience uh, at our church services, or hungry for uh, entertaining stories, or uh, hungry for um, community. And, and there's nothing wrong in and of those—you know—those things themselves, but. Here's the thing: we we will not know how to rightly apply and experience and live out God's word unless we actually rightly understand God's word. So we must teach the apostles' doctrine. We must be committed to being learners. I think that preachers and pastors, like they they feed this problem. I think we have a lot of weak churches because pastors and leaders they 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 don't emphasize the doctrinal teachings of the scripture. And I think we need to do that. Um, I think it was maybe. Uh, John Stott, or Vody Bauckham or some preacher who said this. He said, uh, "Sermonettes by preacherettes produce Christianettes," <laughs> and I thought, on one hand, that is really true, and on the other hand, it's really sad. But I mostly lean towards the funny side. I think it's good, but the um, but it's true, right? That that uh, really. If we want to be strong believers, if we actually want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we actually have to know what he taught and know what he said. And so the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the f- first foundational practice of the church. You know, as a, as a church, what have we said? We want to be a church that knows Christ. How? Biblically. All right, we want to know him biblically through the truth of scripture. Second foundational practice of the church, that they were committed to meeting each other's needs together. So they didn't just learn the apostles' teaching together. They were committed to meeting each other's needs together. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now fellowship is like a super churchy word, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I've never heard anybody besides like a church person talk about fellowship. Right. Like maybe it happens. I'm sure it probably does. But I uh, fellowship is a church word. I remember this one time. This is just a little side story. My dad, uh, I called my dad one time and I was like, what's going on, dad? And uh, he was like, well, your mom and I are in a fight. And uh, I was like, why are you whispering? (laughs) He's like, I don't want your mom to hear. And uh, apparently my mom was around the corner and she like came around and she, and then my dad quickly changed his tone and he said, yes, son, your mother and I are in an intense time of Christian fellowship. (laughs) I was like, okay, all right, dad. That was good. But uh, fellowship is, uh, in the original language, it's the Greek word koinonia. And uh, we, if you've been around church life, you've heard people talk about how we want to be a people of koinonia. We want to have this type of, uh, con- the word koinonia means having in common, commonness or oneness. It's where we get our idea of community, common unity, people having a unity around common things. And so um, koinonia is, is one of the beautiful parts of the church. Um, there are, when you, it, it's why we emphasize the one and others of the New Testament, so When you read the New Testament epistles, you'll see all these instructions that have to do with doing certain things with or for one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Honor one another. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. encourage one another while it's called the day. serve one another in love, spur one another on to love and good deeds. So the one another's of scripture give us this good picture of what it looks like to live out koinonia fellowship. And the early church was devoted to living that out. That's fellowship. But right here in our text, it seems like The type of fellowship that they were living out was a very particular kind. So in verse 44, it says that they were devoted to the fellowship. Excuse me, verse 42 says they were devoted to the fellowship. Verse 44, I believe, gives us a little more specific picture. Verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Here's why I point this out. It's because in the original language, The word for common here has the same root as the word fellowship in verse 42. Verse 42, fellowship is koinonia. Verse 44, the word common is the word koinos. Having in common is is having koinos with one another. Same root. So having things in common and having fellowship, I believe, is what's being emphasized in this text. Well, what does that mean that they had all things in common? Does it mean they just liked, you know... Doing having the same food preferences, having the same, you know, interests and you know extracurricular activities, like what are we talking about? Here's what it means that they had things in common. Just keep reading down, verse 45. Verse 45 says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So to me, this is a beautiful picture of Christian koinonia, Christian fellowship. They had things, they would sell them, they would pool their resources and then give them to meet the needs of others. Um, When we get to Acts chapter 4, it's going to give a beautiful little phrase about the early church. It says, there were no needy among them. Like what? It doesn't mean that there weren't people who had needs. It means that all the people who had needs, they were being met through the community of the church. There were no needy among them. To me, that's just such a beautiful picture of the early church. I, uh, I um, always get a, a little funny, because when we read this in Acts 2, and then especially when we get into Acts 4, uh, inevitably some people are like, wait, they sold everything they had, they didn't consider their things their own, they just gave it, that sounds a little bit like socialism, All right, everybody gets a little <laughs> uptight about it, so we'll address that in a few weeks, um, not today, um, in all seriousness, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be out of town in like a month. And uh, Jeff Van Scoy is going to preach on this text in Acts 4 that really gets into it. So I love to hand off tough texts to guys who are preaching for the first few times. So there we go. Um, but I do, want, I do want to say this. That what do we see here? In this text, we see the church really, they didn't really hold tightly to their stuff. They had open hands. They were willing to let go of their resources and to help others who had need. And I I think it's such a beautiful picture of the church. And I just want to say this to my UBC family. UBC is commendable in this area. Um, I've been, uh, this past week, makes four years I've been at UBC as my church. And uh, so thankful. But I can't remember a time where a legitimate need has come to the attention of the church and that that need has gone unmet. Like, maybe it's happened. I know that we're not, you know, sinless people here. But it is a commendable part. I love our deacons. I love that our deacons care intentionally for our members. And want to reach out and and make sure people's needs are cared for. Uh, I think it's a beautiful part of what God's doing here. So let's keep it going. And let's serve and love one another. We want to be a church that makes Christ known resourcefully. Using our resources to make him known. um, They met each other's needs. That was the second foundational practice of the church. Here's the third foundational practice of the church. And it was this. It was that they were sharing meals and opening their homes together sharing their meals and opening their homes together. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? To the breaking of bread. Now, when you read about the breaking of bread in scripture, you read about it in numerous places. It talks about the breaking of bread. Sometimes it refers to the breaking of bread um, in the Lord's supper. Uh, And so you have references to the breaking of the loaf of bread and, and that type of thing. Um, And that could be what they have in mind here in Acts 2.42, but I I think it's something different. I think it's um, the actual sharing of a meal. And here's why I believe that. It's because if you just look down in our context down here to verse 46, in verse 46, it says that day by day, attending the temple together... Right? So we know that these early believers would go to the temple, large groups of them listening to the apostles teaching there very likely. It says they attended the temple together and they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So it seems to me that the breaking of bread here took place in their homes it seems that it had to do with gladly receiving food, you know, generously sharing it with one another. And I think that goes beyond taking a, a little piece of bread or a small cup of juice uh, in the act of the Lord's Supper. It seems like this was more of a, a full meal. Um, the scriptures seem to emphasize this, uh, this the value of sharing meals together. So when you, when you read the Old Testament, what do you see? The Old Testament Israelites, man, they got together all the time for festivals and feasts. Right? It always happened. You read in the New Testament, you see that Jesus often reclined at table and had meals with people. You see that Jesus revealed himself in Luke 24 through the breaking of bread and the eating of food with people. He revealed himself that way. Um, the book of Jude actually talks about how the church came together for something called a love feast. And so, uh, you know, that was part of their rhythms of life. And so um, the scripture seems to emphasize this simple practice of believers coming together, opening their homes and sharing a meal together. And so what do we know about Christians, man? Christians love to eat, right? Some of you guys are thinking about lunch right now, right? Um, but you know, we're all going to eat meals. Why not just eat them together sometimes? You know, like, we're going to do this, I, I all the kind of sarcasm and joking aside, like, isn't, I don't know about you, but at least with me, it seems like something special happens over the table together. Uh, there's a, a letting down of a guard, there's more of a conversation opening up your heart, walls get taken down. It's why when, you know, you ask somebody out on your first date, let's go get dinner. You actually, you know, want to get to know each other. It's why when you have new employees at work, right? We're going to lunch. You want to come with us? Um, It's why when we have special occasions in our family, right? We do that around a meal. Rachel and I had dinner three times this week with families from our church. It was great. Like, we got to, uh, you know, just get to know people in, in an unrushed, open-hearted manner and it was great Uh, appreciate our senior adult ministry last night having the big spaghetti dinner with awesome meatballs here at the church Um, and uh, it was it was awesome but I just think about this like we've hosted groups in our home small groups in our home for many years now and there's just something intangible that allows you to relationally connect when you set aside that time to eat a meal or share a dessert together Without a whole lot of agenda or content, it's just, you just connect and it's better that way. So sharing a meal, opening up our table, it often breaks down these walls and deepens our relationship and the early church was devoted to that Breaking of bread and sharing meals in their homes together. That's the third foundational practice of the church. It helps deepen the relationships. And what do we want to be? We want to be a church that knows Christ relationally. That we, as in relationships together, we come uh, to know Christ better when we are truly uh, connected to each other. Well, here's the last foundation, uh, foundational practice of the church that we see in our text. Is that they were praying and praising God together. They were praying and praising God together. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All right, so they were... They were always praying together. As we go through the book of Acts, you're just going to see, early church, man, they just gathered for prayer all the time, over and over again. Such an emphasis in the book of Acts on the early church, um, you know, really being committed to prayer. They didn't just add it on in their church services as kind of a formality for the beginning and the end. It, it was a part, it seems to be very much a part of what their life was about, right? The disciples, what did they ask Jesus? They said, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. And then Jesus taught them the, the Lord's Prayer. Over and over in the epistles, what's the instruction? Pray without ceasing. Devote yourself to prayer. Be constant in prayer throughout the, epistle, throughout the epistles. So the early church were committed to praying together. Verse 46 says that they shared their food gladly and generously in their homes. And then verse 47 says that they were praising God. They were praising God. So don't just skip past that, right? Because really the praise of God's name is, is really what this is all about. Like that they cry that, that the worship and praise and the honor of God, it's in the center of everything they're doing. Um, as they learn the apostles' teaching, they're praising God. As they met one another's needs and gave generously of their resources, they're praising God. As they broke bread and opened their homes and built relationships, they're praising God. As they're praying together, they're praising God. And it's praise and worship that's in the middle of their entire ministry. And I have to say, church family, like, I hope that that's us. Like, we can be so busy doing Bible study and prayer and groups and missions and outreach and all these other things, but if the worship of God is not at the center of it all, we are off target. right, so praising God worshipfully is the type of church that we want to be. It seems to be at the center of the early church's ministry as well. Now, these verses don't just, they don't just show us the foundational practices of the church. They also show us what God did, the results of what he was doing. Uh, verse 46, that says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people, right? Like, what, isn't that a, what another wonderful description of the early church, man? They had favor with all the people. Would that the Lord would make it that way for us, that, that we would be known as, as being faithful friends, Good friends, that we would be known as being helpful, loving, pleasant, enjoyable neighbors, you know, that, that are, we would be known for being trustworthy, responsible, honest employees and employers. That, that people would really, whether they're Christians or not, that they would look at the people of God, put, look at the people of UBC, and they would say, you know, I like those people. I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they're in our community. I'm glad they're in my life. Verse 47 says uh, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I mean, can you uh, just, can you imagine being part of that? Every day, another salvation. Every day, just waves over and over, more people being saved. Like what a powerful move of God. People being saved day by day. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, the word saved means to be uh, rescued or delivered from slavery. And so the scripture, when it talks about being saved, it means that we are rescued or delivered from our slavery to sin. The scripture teaches very clearly that every one of us in this room has sinned and fallen short of God's holy and perfect standard. The scripture teaches us that, you know, uh, that the punishment for our sin is death and condemnation. So none of us want to have eternal death and eternal condemnation on us. We we want that to be forgiven and we want to be separated from that. So the scripture teaches us that the way for our forgiveness, the way for us to be saved or freed from the bondage and the trap of sin is that if we will repent of our sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. So if you want to be saved, you must repent of your sin, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't believe that he just died on a cross. You understand he died to pay for your sin. And he didn't just stay dead. You believe that he, God raised him from the, dead, from the dead three days later, overcoming the, the, uh, the power of death, which, or the power of sin, which is death. He overcame that in his resurrection. And those who repent of their sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And this is is a salvation that the Lord brings. What does it say in our text, verse 47? That the Lord added to their number. People didn't save themselves. You don't save yourself. I don't save myself. Christians don't save other people. Right? The Lord saves people. Yes, we boldly share the gospel. Yes, we witness. Yes, we are devoted to loving and helping and showing the love of Jesus. But whenever salvation comes, it's because the Lord brought it. So as the old saying goes, Jesus saves, right? Jesus saves. He's gonna build his church. The gates of hell won't prevail. He's gonna save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through faith. All who call upon the, li- in the name of the Lord will be saved he saves them so what's the first big takeaway for us three takeaways for us here's the first one the first one is this if you've never been saved today you need to be saved and added to the church today hey like you it, it, everybody in this room I hope that you can reflect and say there was a time where I recognized my sin that Jesus died for it on the cross I repented of that I asked forgiveness. And I asked the Lord to come into my life and lead me from here. Like, that is salvation. Has there been a turning in your life? I'm not saying, can you write down the specific date? I'm not saying, you know, those types of things. I'm just saying, as you look back, has there been a turning from sin and a turning to Jesus? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he'll save you today if you turn to him. He'll add you to the church. Until you're saved, you might attend church, but you're not really part of the church family. To those who believed in Christ's name, the scripture says God gave them the right to become the children of God. So when you believe in Jesus, you become part of the family of God. There's no such thing as as a Christian who's truly saved and not part of the church. If you are saved, you are part of the church. Some people might live outside of the fellowship of the church. They may be living with sin in their heart toward the church, but you're part of the church. You're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you, right? is, we're in together. It's like when you're born physically, you didn't get to choose your parents or your siblings or anything else. You just got who you got, right? And that's the way it is with the church. Isn't, and as silly as that is, like that's important for us to understand because let's be honest, like the church is full of broken, sinful uh, people in need of grace. And it's not just everybody else. It's me, it's you. We all need God's grace. We are all imperfect, but we're with each other. We have been granted a great salvation. And you're in, you're part of the family of God. And you'll love, you'll learn to love your family. You'll learn to love your family, which is part of the second takeaway for us. Guys, consider how God may want to grow your devotion to the church family. How does God want it? You know, the early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and breaking their bread and opening their homes and prayer and praising. You know, as we've talked through this, it would be real easy for me to turn this into a punch list. And You know, if, if you do these four things, you're going to be a rock solid Christian. Really, what I, what I want to say to you is like, this is the way the early church functioned. God moved in power among the church then. But there were some foundational practices there. So, as you listen to the preaching of God's word, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is He calling you to grow in your devotion to the teaching of Scripture? Is He calling you to, you know, grow in your devotion to helping meet others' needs with your resources? Is He calling you to open your home and, and share the dinner table? Maybe one of the best, like, Deepest application some of you could take from this sermon is, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out to dinner with some other Christians. I'm just going to sit down and get to know them and open my heart share life. This is why, guys, this is why we have... Sunday sermons that preach God's word. This is why we have classes because we want to be a church that devotes ourselves to the apostles teaching. This is why we have a deacon ministry and and we share our resources with benevolence with one another because we want to help meet one another's needs. Fellowship. This is why we have groups in our church so that you can get connected and really have open relationships with people. You know, this is why we have Sunday worship services where, you know, we sing our hearts out to the Lord and we want to praise his name and cry out to him in prayer because we want to worship him along the way. All these foundational practices of the church, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Where might he want you to grow? Here's the last thing I'll say. Last takeaway for us. And we've emphasized this for many weeks now. Would you pray with me that the Lord brings salvation and favor and awe through the ministry of our church? Oh man, like... The Lord added to their number daily. I just, I'm just praying like, Lord, I I know I can't save people. The Holy Spirit, like the wind, blows where it will. But Lord, we're asking you, would you please blow a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit here and see people saved? Would you pray that with me? You know, like, can we join in that? Wouldn't you love to see that? A fresh wind of God moving new believers. So I'm praying for that. That God would bring salvation. Praying that the Lord would bring favor. That we would be a church that wherever we live, our neighbors, in our schools, in our workplaces, in this community, among the city officials here, as we go through this building project and all these other things we have going on, Lord, could we carry ourselves in such a way where we have favor from people? You know? And then, awe. Verse 43 says that the people were filled with awe as they saw the mighty works of the Lord. And and, uh, guys, this this is really what it's all about, that people would stand in awe of what God can do, that he can change a life, that he can use a ministry to impact other people's lives, that people would see the mighty work of God and they would just stand in awe. You know, that's what worship really is. Worship is sensing the weight of God's glory. We would just stand in awe, marvel, oh God, you are great and I am not. That we marvel at the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners like you and me. And that's what we want. We want people to stand in awe of God. So, may the Lord grow our passion and our devotion for the church. May he move in power among us now, like he did among the early church then. And when he does, may we stand in awe and wonder and glory in his name. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we... We are um, a church busy with lots of things, and I want, by your grace, Lord, uh, I want you to help me and our elders and our deacons and our staff and our leaders uh, shepherd your people to be busy about the things that you want us to be about. Lord, help us to stand firm, devoted to the apostles' teaching in a world that is quickly, aggressively turning away from the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would let us be a church that opens up our hands with our resources, that we would not hold tightly to our money and possessions and things. But Lord, that we would steward our resources according to your will to meet the needs of those around us. Lord, I pray that you let us just open our hearts that we would truly take an interest in each other and uh, love each other and remember what's going on, pray for each other and and that we would grow as a people connected. Lord, you know the challenges. As our church grows, it's harder for us to be uh, personally connected with one another. So Lord, help us there. Um, help us there. And Lord, uh, I do pray that you would Keep us a prayerful, worshipful church that at the heart of all we do, Lord, would just be a uh, just a fire for your glory burning within us. And so, Lord, uh, make your name great through the, through our lives and through the ministry of our church. And Lord, today, if there's anybody here today who has not been saved, just like you added people daily in the early church, maybe you want to add some people to your church today. If there's anybody who's not yet saved, Lord, let today be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give this all to you in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.